Hey guys, and welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast, the podcast for news and documentary shooters, cameramen, video journalists, basically anyone who films real life for a living. So today we've got a new interview. I've been off the scene for a couple of weeks. Uh, my wife and I had our second son born on the 3rd of April. So as you can imagine, we've been pretty busy. But yesterday I found time to interview the brilliant Federica de Carrier, who's a video journalist who works for the Press Association. She has a good story to tell, and I must be honest, it's fantastic to finally interview a woman, which is something I haven't done so far. My bad. Um, but now I've managed to put that right with someone who's brilliant, and I hope you'll find really enjoyable. So without further ado, Federica de Carrier. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and hasn't seen your work, could you just introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do. So my name is Federica. I'm Italian originally, but I work in London for the Press Association, which is the national news agency. I've um, been working for them for um, not a year and a half, but nearly right now. Um, I graduated here in London. I did my MA in here. Um, I went to the Falkland Island briefly, which is quite a quirky experience probably. But it was very useful for me. Uh, and then I, yeah, I came back to London to work. So I'm still a newbie in the video world, but I'm very much enjoying it. Well, I mean, that's quite fascinating that you went to the Falkland Islands. Uh, how, did, how did that come about and what were you doing and, and how was it? So um, I uh, fell in love with video when I was doing my MA here in London. Um, I had just one module uh, of video, so it wasn't totally focused on video, it was international journalism. But um, I fell in love with video and I knew straight away that that was what I wanted to do. Um, obviously, to call yourself a video journalist, you need to show your work. So I can't, once I finish university, just go to somewhere and be like, I want to be a video journalist. And they're like, yeah, show me what you've produced. And you're like, oh, I've got one video and it's the one of my dissertation. So nobody will believe you. Um, so what happened is that um, I found straight away a job as a production assistant um, in a great little production company. But they were doing mostly um, corporate gigs. Um, and I, I really love journalism. So I worked for them for a little bit. But then I knew that my... Um, intention was to go through uh, another branch and I found this um, ad on Twitter I guess one day um, that was saying that they were looking for uh, interns in the Falkland Island so I'll be honest I actually googled the Falkland Island I didn't know <laughs> the exact position um, and and I found out that you could apply for this internship and stay there for six, nine uh, months or a year. Um, and I thought, you know what? I'll give it a shot. I just really want to do it. I need to learn how to film. And I don't have mm, many chances of being hands-on, which is what you need. Um, so, yeah, I applied. And, yeah, let's be honest. I don't think there are that many people that would apply for something like that. It's a Probably, tough gig. Fun, though. Yeah, um, I've, I've always loved traveling as well. And I was just curious to go and see another place. And um, six months is not such a long time. Um, that's how I was seeing it as well. Yeah. And I was curious. It would. I've always wanted to, you know, one day produce documentaries. And I thought, well, for a documentary, what do you need? 
a subject that people don't know and they could be curious about. So I thought, what what a better chance. I'll just go there and give it a shot. So this is how the Falkland Island came about. And who, who uh, were you working for there? Uh, there is a little television there. It's called Falkland Island TV. They produce a magazine program. Um, and I was really lucky. I was working with an editor, um, Paula, and other two interns. So it's a very small team because mm. I was obviously, as you can imagine, it's not like a breaking news environment. <laughs> but um, it's very useful to um, to learn. I was really lucky as well because the two guys that were with me had different backgrounds. So I had mostly this journalism background, um, whereas the other two guys had TV um, BAs and film BAs, so they had more technical knowledge. Oh, okay. So we literally taught each other in a way. Um, and that was really, really great for me. And you were working, uh, the three of you, as sort of one-man band VJs, or were you teaming yeah. up as a, as a team? Um, mostly was a one-man band. Sometimes we were teaming up, obviously, because some events that we were filming, um, ceremonies, or um, they were with multiple cameras, obviously. Yeah. So we were teaming up. Um, also, what I learned is how to get the audio in the Falkland Island. I filmed in any weather condition possible. <laughs> it's windy. Um, yeah. So sometimes, you know, you need you need the help um, of somebody else to get good audio for an interview if it's outdoor and you are in Falkland Island. Yeah. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It sounds great. And do you remember any of the any any big? Well, maybe not big stories. That's probably uh, maybe not the right term. But interesting stories you did while you were there. Yeah. Um, where it, it's mostly you know wildlife. Mm. Um, so I had the chance of. Um, visiting one of the tiny islands that are around uh, the Falkland uh, West. Um, there is a researcher, um, and it's an Italian researcher, and they go there every summer for uh, month and month and month. And they study uh, killer whales and sea lion. Oh, wow. Um, and it's curious because um, David Attenborough has been there because there is a famous spot where killer whales learn how to prey in a very particular way. So I got to visit them, and I got to see uh, a predation of killer whales, for example, um, and to produce a short feature on their work and how important it is for the Falkland Islands and for the environment. So that was quite quite cool. And then um, I got to spend time um, in a farm in the um, East Falklands, um, uh, farmer host me and you can see the different life that mm. there is there. they are incredibly independent in any um way like we are so used to go to the supermarket or to go to school um away you are homeschooled there your teacher comes um you cultivate your own things you repair what you break um it's a totally different life um very silent um very fascinating mm. um you have knowledge on things that I'm completely ignorant about. I remember the, the day I needed to depart, because obviously uh, the way you move around in between islands in the Falkland is by little planes. They are the same planes that they fly from um, the mainland Ireland to the Iron Island right, right now. Yeah. Um, so, but you don't have anybody checking the weather or um, like the, the landing place is next to your house and it's up to you to maintain it because oh, obviously wow. there is an airport yeah um, so you're you're taught how to 
help the pilots to land and everything. And I, um, I had to depart and there was fog that day. So um, the airport in Stanley, which is the capital, uh, called at home directly that person. And they were given the measurement of how far they could see. But I can't even remember what they were saying, but it was such a technical term. Can you see that mountain? Can you see as far as three yards? I don't remember even how they were saying it, but yeah. it's such a knowledge. Like, it was so fascinating spending time with them because I realized how used I was to a completely different lifestyle. And yeah, I got to film a little documentary on them as well. Sounds like uh, an amazing experience for a young video journalist. Did, did this experience really sort of give you what you wanted? You know, did you come away from that like much more polished and ready, ready for the, you know, the real world, so to speak? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was a big shock um, when I started working from PA because obviously there is a big gap and a very different pressure on the work. If you make a mistake in the Falklands, you can sort of go around it. If you make a mistake in PA... A bit less, um, but um, so I found myself filming killer whales and sheep, and then the day after I was filming the prime minister, which is a bit of a change. <laughs> but um, it did prepare me for that because I was ready to do everything on my own in a way, and to to deal with unexpected circumstances around me. Mm. Yeah, I mean it. it it's similar-ish in a way to working in local news in the UK. I always find that's the best way to cut your teeth because um, you're doing different stories every day, you know, working with different people, different kit. You know, like you say, one day you're doing something with farmers, the next day you're, you know, filming the prime minister or whatever. So I, I can see how it would have really sort of set you up well for your, for your current role, um, which brings us nicely to that. Um, so you mentioned you're with PA. For anyone who doesn't know, anyone who's listening, maybe who's not British, who doesn't know what PA is or what they do, can you can you tell us and then tell us how you got a job there? So um, PA is a news agency. So it, we do the same work that um, Associated Press or maybe Reuters um, do, um, obviously in a <clears throat> smaller environment because we are the UK news agency, UK and Ireland, sorry. Um, so we take care mostly of national news. Um, international news obviously play a big part when uh, the UK are involved in some um, event internationally. Um, so yeah, the PA obviously has different departments as every news agency. We have the wire, the photo team <clears throat> and the video team. Um, and the video team is the latest that has been developing and blooming, to be honest, um, as well. Uh, Pierre is very famous for his photographer, mostly, and for his copy. I was copy. about to say, yeah, because I always knew PA more as a stills and, and text-based uh, agency. Is that something that's really changing? It is changing, I think, um, because this is why I managed to get a job, because the video department is is very profitable lately, if I can say it that, uh, that way. Video has been um, a very powerful tool uh, lately, and we've been integrating with the other services that PA um, is giving. So um, the way I got a job there, it's, it's exactly for this reason, because they started um, needing more people. Like the request was bigger, so they needed more people to obviously face it. Um, I was really lucky because um, I I literally applied for an ad even this time, um, and it was a maternity cover. So a person uh, just took maternity leave, and I got to um, to come in 
now I'm very lucky and after a year confirming what I was saying before they actually uh, put me on a permanent contract just from January so I'm very very grateful for that because I know that it's not that common um so yeah I, w- I worked hard for it but I'm very grateful um so yeah and and now I'm just um they're working as hard as I can to demonstrate I deserve it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I've I've seen some of your films and uh, some great stuff. One of the one of the ones I really loved was a piece you did recently on uh, homeless people living in rural areas. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really nice, and I wanted to ask you about that. I wanted to ask how how do you find your stories like that? Are you going out and finding them yourselves, or are you you know uh, colleagues from the copy you know from text coming to you? I mean, how does it work? So um. If I can say that, I've been a little bit of a um, pioneer, but like because I've got, I have a lot of initiative, which is good. Um, so how PA works is that obviously you've got things that you need to cover, mm. um, and so there isn't a diary that morning you're assigned to that job. But um, I'm very lucky, and my editors let me develop what I'd like to develop most of the time. If it's obviously a good idea, coherent, if the pitch respects what the client would like and everything. So I, um, most of the time I pitch loads of stories, and the homeless one in the countryside was one of the stories that I would have um, pitched myself. So I just, um, I go to them, I give a little script for it, and they say yes, give it a go or no. Um, the way I found it is usually, um, actually reading. It's mostly, um, just uh, scrolling on Twitter and, you know, following people I'm, I'm interested in and they usually talk about topics I'm passionate about, um, reading out a newspaper in, um, online or paper or whatever, magazines, um, and they just come about. Often there is a hint and you're like, oh, this would make a good story. So, you try to research and develop, and then eventually there might be a story behind it. Brilliant. And then another story I know you've just recently worked on um, was the Rohingya. That's how the BBC say it. I know uh, you know there's different pronunciations. Um, you've recently been out to to Bangladesh uh, filming refugees. Could you could you tell us as someone who maybe am I right in saying was new to that environment? You know, working in in those sorts of places. Yeah. How how was that for you? Because a lot of the people listening to this podcast are sort of grizzled old veterans. Uh, and I think sometimes we forget what it's like um, when you're seeing these sorts of places for the first time. How, how did you find it? And um, how did you find was the, the best way to operate and get the pictures that you needed um, out there? What advice? How did you feel? And then what advice could you give for others? I could give it to myself for next time as well. Um, so starting from the beginning um I got in touch I was really lucky because PA was in touch with Save the Children and Save the Children was in a way a big support for my trip so I guess first of all not like freelancing and being completely left alone helped because um once we managed to organize uh, the trip visa problem aside but as probably many journalists that have been trying to get to Bangladesh right now know it's not that easy to obtain a visa and might have um, problems around it but apart from that Save the Children organized my accommodation organized my translator once I was there and helped me out to uh, literally set up a schedule day by day because there was um, a 
girl, the managing uh, the Rohingya response there, Daphne, and she was extremely helpful and literally being like, the first day, okay, you would like to get this story, we go here and here and here. Um, now, as a personal impact, um, when I arrived to Bangladesh, um, it's different, I must say, to get to a place as a tourist and to get to a place as a journalist and working there. Um, I've been to Southeast Asia before, um, but I've never, I'd never been to Bangladesh. And Bangladesh is definitely one of the poorest country I've ever seen. Um, so yes, it was very, um, very strong, the impact ahead. First day, I was alone, obviously, because I'm a one-woman band. I don't work with a crew. I arrived at the hotel. I was briefed. And then I was like, oh, great, i got to go out for lunch. Um, they pointed out a place where I could go, uh, not very far from our hotel. Um, but as soon as I stepped out, I had this crowd of kids asking me for money around me. Oh, no, yeah. And it is, it's heartbreaking. And as you can see, like, I'm pretty pale, a little blonde. It's really hard, like, literally people stare at me in the street and I, I, don't, I can't really walk without attracting much attention. So mm. it, was, um, it, was, it was very hard for me. I, I had my lunch and then I went back inside. Yeah. Um, once, though, you are with local people, um, I was very lucky in this way as well because my fixer, my translator, was really good, was a, was a girl. Um, and she sort of um, helped me because obviously when you're with somebody that is able to communicate with people around you, all the reality, it's completely different and the yeah. perception is completely different. So um, it was great both working with her because while we were in the camp, I was able to interact in a way with people around me, even if um, that was a big change for me as well. Um, because I've always been interviewing people um, in English or Italian, but um, obviously people that I was able to have a conversation back and forth without having a third person there. Um, and I find it um, harder to um, empathize, harder to uh, follow up and follow back, you know, from a question. And that was, um, that was the hardest part. But yes, she helped me a lot, um, both during work and not at work, to get to understand and know Bangladesh and go even around, like normally, not yeah. as a tourist, but as a person. Yeah, I always say you're only as good as your fixer on any of these types of jobs. It's, it's totally true. I never worked with a fixer before, and I understand they should probably put her name under my byline as well because she totally deserves it. Yeah. And and when you were at the camps, um, how how did you find people's reaction to you? Are they are they sort of sick of the media, or were people very open and wanted to tell their story? No, um, Ringa people are uh, extremely welcoming. Um, it's really funny. Um, the kids were coming and shouting at you, "Hi, bye, hey!" Like all together, all the words that they knew in English, just one after the other, because because you were white and you were walking there, so you were probably speaking English. Mm. Um, I was also wearing a Save the Children jacket, um, which um, made them obviously thought that I was part of the organization, and they're very grateful 
to the organization that helped them. So they are really very much ready to talk to you and to explain what they went through. Um, they, I don't think they understand fully what you're going to do with the videos. They are not, um, you know, funnily enough, um, I've been told once that they were producing a video because Cristiano Ronaldo uh, donated a lot of money for it. They were trying to get a video of kids saying, we're a big fan of Ronaldo. But the truth is that those kids don't know who uh, Ronaldo Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is the level of, you know, like a detachment in a way. Mm. But Bringer people are extremely um, nice and they are ready to tell you their stories and to talk to you um, and to help you. Um, get around if you need because the camp is a maze <laughs> and um no i've i've never felt threatened in there at all and um i mean an interesting point and and sort of the elephant in the room with uh, with this podcast so far is that pretty much well in fact every single guest i've had on has been a man so you're the first uh, female guest we've got responsibility <laughs> yeah you're representing all women in the world right now um, <laughs> so would you say uh, an assignment like that, uh, particularly, especially dealing with, with Muslim women as well, would you, would you say that being a female was actually a help to you or did you find operating in Bangladesh as a female was actually more difficult? I mean, how would you, how would you sum that up? Um, I don't think, uh, it was, um, it made any, a different, while I was in the camp, because mm. um, my fixer was a female as well. Um, so while we were in the camp and while we were working during the day, I don't think it would have made any difference. Um, I think the women might have, um, you know, might have helped during the interview with the women because they were seeing another woman in front of them. But this is just literally... Um, because I might not look threatening, but at the same time, another man, another guy might not look threatening to them. So I don't think, I'm, I'm not sure because obviously with this barrier with the language that that actually helped. Um, what I must be honest with is just, it probably did influence um, my being independent when I wasn't actually working. Because yeah. I would have loved to um, go around alone, but I'd been um, advised not to go around alone after 7 p.m. in the evening, for example, um, or similar things. So at work, no. But outside, yes, I think as a woman, I need to be a little bit more wary in certain situations, definitely. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's a sad, sad reality, isn't it? But... I mean, an in interesting thing, I remember in, uh, I think it was Libya in 2011, I was talking to an Al Jazeera correspondent who was a Muslim female, and she literally carried a letter around with her, signed by her father, allegedly, I don't know if it was really signed by her father, saying that he gave permission for her to be working uh, and that she didn't need a family member as a chaperone, because uh, the guys who she was dealing with couldn't understand how a woman could be out without a chaperone you know a family member a father husband brother and so she had to have this letter to be able to show to the soldiers so they would go okay so you have your father's permission okay fine we'll talk to you um now i guess as a you know as a sort of european they cut you a little bit more slack but they're just the sort of problems as a woman you have to deal with that a man would never have to deal with um 
I mean, in in general, working in the UK or or in Europe, have you have you found um, you know that being a woman in in the job of a video journalist has been any more difficult? Um, I guess I'll, I'll be honest. It it is sometimes. Um, there are little subtle things that happen. Um, I remember, uh, for example, um, once I was with a trainee. Um, he was a guy, uh, taller than me because I'm not <laughs> not even that tall. Um, so we were um, going to film this video. We just literally entered his door, um, and this man um, introduced himself. But I entered first. The trainee with me entered afterwards, and he showed his hand to shake it to him. Mm thinking that he was the person that was in charge of everything. Yeah. So obviously I didn't call him out explicitly uh, and the guy was really nice. Was He realized it as well, like his sensitivity was getting it. Yeah. Um, so he shook the hand of um, my colleague and then he shook mine and I was like, oh yeah, nice to meet you, Federica. I'm the video journalist that is here to film you. <laughs> so I think, he sort of got it in the dynamic later because I was giving advice um, at, at the guy on how to film and everything. Yeah. So he got it later and he changed his attitude while we were uh, filming. But his first impact it was like, oh, she's the woman. She must be the trainee girl. Right, yeah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so you notice it in this subtle thing they're not explicitly said or sometimes I found myself in very busy environment and you position your tripod and somebody literally like sits in front of you if um one of the cameramen would ask oh can you please move the other man would just move yeah if you ask to move they're just like oh, mm, uh, and then they just literally move of a millimeter and then they turn to you and they're like is it fine I'm like no you're exactly <laughs> where before yeah it doesn't happen all the time, I'll be honest. Like, there are loads of colleagues that don't um, treat you in a different way, as it should be. Um, but it does still happen sometimes. And yeah. it's true. We are still um, a minority in a way. There are not as many women working as camera person or um, as a video journalist. Yeah. Uh, but there are more and more. Um, and it's always very nice to um, arrive to a place and not be the only woman. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, would I be right in saying that um, the the development of the technology is helping? For example, when I when I was working as a traditional cameraman, you know, you're talking that camera weighed like twelve shoulders by the uh, twelve shoulders, twelve kilos by the time it was on my shoulder. And even for me, I'm six foot two and weigh like ninety kilos, and you know, it would start to get heavy. And so I think historically it's always been quite, uh, you know, there's there's some females who have done brilliantly, but it, it has made some... I think is a myth, like this thing that the camera is heavy so the female can't carry it, because I'm pretty sure I can carry the camera much longer than other people, male or female, whatever they are. I think it's been something that we, we believed. It was like, oh, no, but it's because the camera is really heavy, so mm. that's a justification for it. It's not. Yeah. It's really not. Um, I think there's you have back pain. I could have had back pain. That's perfectly fine. Um, but obviously, seeing somebody that is doing it, it gives you motivation, and it says like, oh well, but if she's doing it, I can do it too. 
Um, so that's what I think is happening more and more. Probably yeah. yes, technology is helping this mentality to change, but I don't. I think that the technology was a bit of an excuse before, right. not real reason. Um, it's true. I need to carry around, but it, which is funny as well. The attitude because like I told you, I'm not very big. So um, when I carry around my kit, is like the tripod is basically as long as I am and the big backpack and then sometimes you film premieres so I have a ladder with me or you know film royal events and you have a ladder with you and there is always somebody that watches you and is like can I can I help you and I'm like no I'm fine I'm okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean thank you so much I know that your intentions are are great but I'm mostly okay um and he's as heavy as for the man next to me that carries it I know that the intention is really nice like it's positive in a way but if you if you see a guy carrying as much as I do you would never ask him would you would you need a hand yeah or, true well maybe you if, would but I know what you mean yeah you're less likely it happen less you know yeah, it's just yeah. different um so this is what happens as well and uh, I'm, I'm just I I know I'm used to it um and I'm just I just take it and fight it step by step slowly yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, the, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about as well was um, what your advice would be for, for people now coming through the university system or, or just starting out. Because um, you told me earlier, but for the sake of the audience, if you don't mind me asking, can you tell me how old you are? I'm 27. 27. So I, I, I wouldn't really want to be a young person sort of at university right now wanting to get into this industry. I think it's very, very tough. Um, as someone who's gone through that you know and has come out the other side now what advice can you give if imagine I'm a sort of 21 year old at university who wants to do what you've done what would you tell me so um first of all the thing that was um a little bit disconcerting for me is because everybody that was coming to talk at uni to me was just like yeah I started in a local newspaper yeah I started in local news and then you go I got a stable job there it doesn't work like that anymore. It's not that easy. Um, it seemed for them a very natural path, but it's not right now. Right now, you need to uh, to do the double. Like what they ask you, you need to be ready to do more. So the advice I could give is be um, for real ready to be your own women, your own man band. Like learn how to produce, how to shoot, how to edit. And how you learn it is just doing it. So um doesn't matter for which outlet you're going to do it. Like, it, it really doesn't matter. Try to put together small videos because it's just, if, if we want to be a video journalist, obviously, that's um, just try all the time. And no gig is small enough for you to refuse it because it's like, well, it's not, that's not exactly what I want to do. Any gig is worth it. So, and always be proactive. If they ask you something, do more than they, what they ask you. Because what they ask you is not enough to stand out anymore. Yeah. So, if, the, if they hire you and they're like, okay, I'll give you what you need to do, don't stop there. Bring them ideas. Make yourself fundamental for that place, in a way. If you can, obviously, I know that I know that it's hard and I'm not going to lie. Like I worked for free. I did loads of like time. Um, I'm not saying it's right. It's really not. But, oh, but it's the reality. Sometimes you have to. How else do you get experience? <laughs> yeah. um, 
so there is a bit of injustice there um and i think we should fight it but um expect it be ready for it like be ready to offer um your job and to shadow people and be always aware um like and and check out what people around you are doing learn for everything and everybody at any moment while you're around to be honest i think that advice everything you've just said uh works equally as well whether you're a novice or whether you've been doing it 20 years all of that advice is really good advice um, but to start, you just, I think you just really need not to give up. Like, you, if you really want it, you just need to keep going and going and going. And doesn't matter if you decide to need to do another silly job to maintain yourself. I've been working as a waitress for ages um, because I needed the money. And then aside, I was trying to study, aside, I was trying to film some things. I know it's tough. But it's reality right now. There is not, I don't have a magic pill being like, yeah, no worries. Just go and get the train ship, train scheme or whatever, and you'll succeed. It's not like that anymore. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you'd agree. Uh, maybe this is a bit controversial. But um, like a friend of mine who's based in Nairobi recently was talking about how all these young guys coming and moving to Nairobi as freelance war photo journalists or whatever, he said the problem with that is they're all rich. He said they're all doing it as a bit of an adventure because they're in their early 20s and their parents are bankrolling it, you know. Um, and they just want to be able to sit around the bar talking about when they were in South Sudan and, you know, living, living off the glory. Uh, and it, 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 I just think it's really difficult, especially for people who don't have, you know, mum and dad's money in their back pocket to be able to make a living in this, to, to really build a career. And I think... I think we're in danger in journalism, and you know people have spoken about this, of um, only having sort of wealthy middle class people as journalists because it is so hard to get paying gigs and you know build your career properly. Is that something you've noticed? Yeah, I I do. Um, I do notice myself being sometimes a bit jealous, and then I notice that the background maybe of the person is um, that is a very talented person, but must be a little luckier. From an economic point of view, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's right. Like I think it's up to uh, people that also don't come from like a very maybe wealthy background. Um, I, I think we should keep fighting it. Like yes, it's true. It's easy if mom and dad pay your flight to Nairobi or to wherever, and it's it's not easy. Let's be honest. There is a risk involved in it you need to be ready to face it it's a very complicated thing i'm just saying it's physically easy to buy a flight and get there if you have yeah. the money for it. and to maintain yourself and also to not have the worry of coming back and not having a place where to where to land because um sort of happened to me before i found a pa job i came back from my backpack in south america very curious spent my own money worth it but then I was lucky and I found a job and I found a way to come back to London but otherwise without a stable job I wouldn't have been able to yeah so I think you're totally right um and that journalism has always been a little easier if you had um somebody that was helping you out at the beginning because maybe at the beginning you're starting as freelance and your contact and your gig is not as many you know as you can get in the future but I think that if you if you hold on there if you keep going and you develop your network it might take you a couple of years more but you'll get there 
Brilliant. Well, look, I think that's probably a really good place to wrap up. Um, I know you and I both have other things we need to get on with. So look, thank you so much for joining us and uh, I really appreciate it. And if anyone wants to contact you with any follow-up questions, is is there any, you know, are you on Twitter, Instagram, that sort of thing? Uh, my Twitter handle is Federica De Caria, so my name and surname um, all together. And well, you find me at the Press Association. My email is federica.caria at pressassociation.com. So I hope you found that interview interesting. I, I certainly did. I really enjoyed speaking to Federica, actually. I thought she was really cool um, and proof that our industry is in good hands. I've watched some of their films and they're really nice. Um, you know, I know how hard it is VJing and her picture quality is excellent. So, yeah, well done to her. And do follow her on Twitter if you can. Federica De Carrier. It's all one word, as she said. In the meantime, please do drop me a line if you've got any ideas of other people I should be interviewing or if you want to be interviewed yourself, if you've got a good story to tell or something you want to talk about. I might try and do a couple of solo episodes over the next couple of weeks. And when I get time, I also want to do some more Instagram lives. So do follow me on Instagram where I'm at Image Junkies with an I-E-S on the end, all one word. And also on Twitter, I'm at Image Junkies too. So also do check out the website, imagejunkies.net. And of course, there's the book, Camera Confidential, which is on Amazon, or you can search for it on my website and you can buy the PDF. So look, guys, keep in touch. There's also a Facebook group, by the way, called Video Journalism. If you're on Facebook, just look up Video Journalism and there's a group that I'm an admin on. Uh, there's loads of good chit chat on there. I usually try and chime in when I can uh, to help with any advice, that sort of thing. So if you're on Facebook and I don't personally know you and haven't added you, please do check it out. All right, guys, take care and speak to you soon. Bye-bye.